You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm super excited about today's guest. He is a badass when it comes to marketing and sales. His name is Brad Schildkraut. He's an entrepreneur, digital marketing, and sales expert who specializes in back-end business systems, workflows, and automation. Brad has successfully brought four digital products to market and has spent over 500-plus hours taking sales calls, resulting in closing over $250,000 in deals for multiple high-ticket digital products. So I'm beyond thrilled that you're on, and I'm so glad that you reached out and we now have a business relationship. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to be here. I know um, like a lot of connections that I've made in the last several months, it's come from TikTok, which is a super, Isn't super powerful platform. So it's so it crazy. has a way of just connecting like-minded people. So yeah, definitely excited to be here. And I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So can you give everyone kind of the background of what your story is? Clearly, it probably was not a linear path of you going to college and doing this. So like, how did you actually stumble into marketing and like creative branding and sales? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is going to be very relevant for a lot of your audience as well, you know, being those people kind of in the corporate realm. So I graduated from college with a finance degree and I started working in the finance industry in Washington, DC. So I was doing work for government contractors. So I was working with the Department of Defense. I was working with Navy intelligence, basically doing more or less financial budgeting, kind of sitting there looking at spreadsheets all day, the classic soul-sucking Sounds job. Sounds so exciting. And, <laughs> yes. And you know, the the pay was good and, and all that stuff. But I kept looking up at the people above me, you know, the middle managers and the managers and these big salaries, but they always had the same look on their face on Monday morning and the same excitement on Friday evening to get out of work and you know go to happy hour and drink the weekend away or get away or do whatever they had to do. And I didn't want that. So I kind of suffered through it for a year and I said, fuck this, I'm out. So I did one full year, basically a calendar year. I really had no plan. I quit my job and I moved to Thailand. And I knew I wanted to start my own business, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know anything about it. So I moved to Thailand and I started working as a math teacher. Prior to moving to Thailand, I had zero experience in teaching. I, you know, I had a finance degree, I had a business background. So I didn't know how to teach. They basically threw me in a classroom with 35 Thai students and said, teach these high school kids how to do math. So I basically had to learn how to teach math. I had to relearn a lot of it, like algebra, slope, intercept form, all these like things that you learn in high school, but they kind of go away, right? Because they're not really that relevant in the real world for most people. So I kind of had to relearn and then teach these kids how to actually do math, which is, you know, now what I do in business, that experience was super beneficial, just learning how to essentially, you know, teach on the fly and things like that. But the whole time I was in Thailand, I was trying to start businesses. So I started a travel blog that failed miserably. I had a drop shipping store where I was selling fitness equipment, the traditional, you know, drop shipping model, taking cheap products from China, sending them to the US, to the UK, running Facebook ads, trying to get profit on that, which is really, really difficult to do. My Facebook ad account got banned. Everything was shut down. So I was like, great, I have another failed business that I'm working on. So I did a year and a half in Thailand. I ended up moving back to the US. And that's when I got into high ticket sales and affiliate marketing. So I was doing high ticket sales for Facebook ads and YouTube ads courses, a sales training course. So essentially, I was doing more or less end to end sales. So I would go out into Facebook groups and generate leads. And then I would close the deal on the phone and I would keep a percentage as an affiliate and a percentage as the salesperson for that. And that's where I really learned which in my opinion is the most important skill in entrepreneurship, which is end-to-end sales. Can you like explain what that is? Like just so for people who are listening? Yeah, exactly. So end-to-end sales is essentially the entire sales process. So you're the one who goes out, you find leads, whether that be like we both find leads on TikTok or you go on Facebook or you're running ads or whatever it may be, generating leads for your business you bring them through the system. So you're providing them value upfront, and then you actually get on the phone with them and close the deal. 
So a lot of people specialize in you know, lead generation. They can run ads or they can bring people to someone else's product and then not actually fulfill. Or some people do the other thing where they can you know, close people on the phone, do high ticket sales, but they don't know how to do lead generation. Where if you can do that whole entire streamlined process, it's really the well-rounded side of a business. And that skill right there, I can equate that to any semblance of success that I've had in business is because I was able to refine that skill. Just spending hours doing lead generation, hours on the phone taking sales calls. And that's what really was the launch pad for my business. And then from there, I continued to do affiliate marketing for a bunch of different products, all high-ticket affiliate marketing. I promoted some softwares on the back end through my email list as well. And then I got onto TikTok and that's when kind of everything changed. I started creating my own digital products. I created my first coaching program. Then I reiterated my coaching program where I was teaching essentially funnel building and email marketing. Then I created my first evergreen product, which was an affiliate marketing course. And then I did another iteration where I launched a new product with my business partner, the Creative Brand Framework, where we did a live coaching program. And then we've transitioned that into a high ticket program as well, which is a coaching program, a consulting program, a full online self guided learning course, and then a community as well. So, got a lot going on. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's ups and downs, right? It's, it's never linear. Like I started out, you know, I wanted to have a travel blog, right? Because I was living in Asia, I was traveling to all these places, I was making no money, but I was, you know, budget traveling, backpacking, going to, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore and India and all these places, Nepal, just kind of living the backpacker lifestyle. And I was like, yeah, I can do a travel blog. Sure. Like I'll be able to do this. I had no idea what I was doing. And through, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 failures, I ended up with now a legitimate scalable business where I'm working with other entrepreneurs or people in the space, but none of it would have been possible without multiple iterations and multiple points of failure that allow me to learn the skills that I have now and is allowing me to actually scale my business and work with the people that I want to at this point. That's so awesome. And it's funny too, because what I'm finding with more and more people that I talk to who are like, oh, I don't know what to do. I have no transferable skills. Like, I don't know where to go with this. Like every single experience you've had in your life will lead you to the point of where you are. And it like, will all make sense once you start translating it to business more so than you would give yourself credit for. And that's the same that happened with you, right? All those failed experiences led to like this basically. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you would have told me even a year ago that I'd be working with personal brands and helping them to, you know, build digital products and scale their businesses, I would be like, I don't know anything except sales. Like I can't, <laughs> I don't even know what that, I don't even know what that means. Right. But, you know, it's kind of our motto in our business is, you know, move with speed, right? Radical transparency, move with speed, open the back door of your business because the faster you fail, the faster you learn. Right. And the people that I see who struggle, and I've worked with at this point over 65 clients and helping them with their business, the people who struggle are the people who freeze because they're scared. Right. Oh, I, I'm not sure exactly what to do. I'm not sure if anyone's going to buy this. I don't really know if this is the right thing to do. And they do nothing. That's the worst thing you can do. The best thing that you can do is say, okay, fuck it. I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And if it fails miserably, I'll know that I don't want to do that. And now you're in a better position to make decisions moving forward. Or you do something and you find, wow, this is actually really what I want to do. These are the people that I want to work with. I can add a shit ton of value here. I'm going to do this. And then you can push forward. So it's the most important thing, in my opinion, is just moving quickly. You know, I like to use the word fearless. My business partner doesn't like that word as much because it can kind of seem like a little bit reckless. But if you want to scale a business and if you want to really step into entrepreneurship, you have to have a certain level of fearlessness. One, not caring what people on social media say about you. They are going to rip you apart. They are going to rip yes, you apart. Yes. I have never felt so fucking violated <laughs> in my life than being on TikTok. And like, I mean, there's so many great people, but holy crap, it's a lot. It's a lot. No, it is. And like, you have a, a decent following now. And I have, you know, at this point, over 50,000 followers. And I've been attacked. Like I, I've come at people doing shitty marketing and I'm like, you guys are doing shitty marketing. You guys are running a scam. And then I get attacked by, and then I say one thing I made a, uh, a post about NFTs and how people are misleading people to think that NFTs are like a get rich quick item, just things like that. And then people attack you. I'm like, look, I will never hold back honesty if I think it's going to benefit people and bring value to people. 
And if you're on social media, it's impossible to get everyone to like you. So as soon as you realize, and I'm sure you're realizing this now, of course, there's going to be people who love you, but the people who don't like you, that's their problem and their own internal limiting beliefs and not your problem, as long as you're providing massive value to people. Yeah, agreed. And it's great because, I mean, I don't like being attacked, but also it makes you have thicker skin, something that I don't think I've had. I've had in the past, but definitely now, whole nother ballgame. Like I just, it kind of goes over my head now. Like, okay, you think like that, that's fine. I'm going to send you compassion and love and I'm going to chill with the people who I actually want to chill with, who like get me and get everything. And like, they're asking questions and whatever. Exactly. And like, look, nobody wants to be attacked on social media. Like it sucks. Like, but you're right. It builds character and it allows you to kind of solidify what you're doing. And, you know, I don't use it as motivation because I never want to use negativity as a source of motivation, but it just kind of solidifies what I'm doing. So I'm not afraid of it. Although of course I would prefer to not have that happen, but it's inevitable, right? There's so many trolls out there who don't know what they're talking about on social media. It's just part of the game. Yeah, exactly. So can you kind of talk on, now that we go back to business stuff, everyone now in the space of online business says like the riches are in the niches and all that stuff. But you had said that's the opposite. Like, Hey, what is your take on that? And like, what is actually the most important thing when starting a business? Because everyone thinks, okay, I need to find my niche and then I could start my business, but then they never fucking take action and they're stuck in fear. And then it's like years of planning for nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And and it relates back to what we were just talking about. Right. And I think a lot of people get bad advice when they're first starting. And look, I've invested in the programs that got bad advice before too. It's part of the game. But when you are bringing any type of business to market or any type of product to market, niche is actually one of the least important things in the beginning. Because your niche, not only will it change, it should change and it needs to change for you to actually build a scalable business. So what you want to do in the beginning, and this is really what you're doing as well, is you cast the net very wide. You say, I'm going into the make money online space, or I'm going into the health space, right? And we'll use the health example because I think it's probably relevant. So let's say you want to bring an offer to market related to health. Initially, the last thing you want to do is say, I want to work with 35-year-old women who are overweight to help them lose belly fat who live in the US. That's way too niche down in the beginning. You want to go out to the market and say, hey, I want to help people lose weight. Very, very broad. And then that's where you do your market research. And this phase for some people can be one month to a year where they're essentially testing the market. They're getting on the phone with people. They're engaging with people who are commenting on their videos or their content and seeing, okay, if I'm talking about helping people lose weight who is my message resonating with? And then you might find through iteration, through conversation, through phone discussions, okay, the people who really like my message are 20 to 35-year-old men who are ex-athletes who stopped working out because they're not doing sports anymore. And those are the people that I want to work with. And then you start to niche down from there. And that's how you really refine your niche where a lot of people freeze up. And this is what you were saying earlier is they think that they have to know their exact client in the beginning. That's not the way that you should find your niche. You need to let the market tell you who you should work with and not make assumptions on the market. Because when you make assumptions on what the market wants, you're going to lose out every single time because you can't, right? You have to listen to what the market tells you And this relates directly to me. Like initially, I was doing sales for people running ads, right? Now I only teach organic marketing and I leverage virtual assistants and I don't even work with the make money online, quote unquote, people. I work with, you know, new and growing entrepreneurs. And I was able to niche down by just throwing that net out there and saying, okay, who's resonating with my content? And now, you know, a year and a half into business, being a full time business owner, now I'm like, really refining what that is. So anyone who's struggling with their niche, don't let that hold you back. Just start putting out content in a broad area of what you think your niche will be and then let the market tell you what it's going to be. Yeah. And also I found too, the great thing of you casting a wider net is, A, well, you reach more people, right? But also you give basically people a platform to share what it is they want. And if you are excited by the idea that they share, then just replicate it. That's how the Corporate Quitter Club got started. People were like, I want a community. I want a community. And I was like, holy crap. They told me what they wanted. So I'm going to go out and make it. And now it's like moving forward. Like I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. They told me 
exactly what they wanted. So I didn't have to make up anything out of thin air. You know what I mean? Is that how you got in? No, I don't want to, you know, turn the questions back. No, totally. By all means. When you quit your job, were you like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to make a podcast. Then you were just like, let's let's see what happens. Basically, I had no fucking clue other than I was like, maybe I'll do a podcast in like two years. I really like that because I had tried being on one like a couple months prior and enjoyed it. But didn't right, didn't even have a plan with that. Was just doing it because I was bored in quarantine for shits and giggles. So yeah, it's funny actually when I talk to people about my story about like just get started. I actually started my business journey. I was going to be a plant person, which is hilarious because I fucking kill all my plants. You said plant like 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 I was going to be like the person who helps people like decide on the plant that like goes well with their room and this thing and it's good for like right bullshit. I mean, for me. And then I was going to be an organizational consultant. And then I was going to do this thing and that thing. And it, like, it was probably six different iterations of different business ideas until I decided on, okay, fuck it. I'm going to go with quitting corporate because of the state of the world and the great resignation and also my experience. But yeah, it took five or six different tries within like a six-month period pre-quitting and after quitting to actually get to where I am now. Yeah, that's that's beautiful iteration. And that's exactly what you should do, right? Because let's be honest, like being a, a plant consultant, like I don't um, know if that's really not a making scalable, any money. <laughs> I don't do think that's anything. a scalable business model right there. Yeah. But it allowed you oh to God. realize, like, okay, I don't want to do this, right? Yeah. Organizational consultant, like not really a scalable business. I don't want to do this, right? So like that's perfect. And now you're in a position where you have so much momentum and value built because of the high value content that you've been putting out, like you're a rocket ship who's ready to blast off once you refine all those pieces and put everything together. Yeah. And I mean, I still don't have it figured out. People know this, like I'm still figuring it out, even though it seems like it's all together. It's not, but. Well, yeah, it'll always be, it'll always be that way. You know, there's fears and there's doubts creep in all the time. Even when, you know, you have a strong, consistent income, there's still imposter syndrome can hit, you know, and you still have doubts and things like that. So that never really goes away. The stakes just get higher. There's just more people involved. There's more impact potential. There's more money involved. But the same fears and doubts are still there. It's just about how you manage it from a mindset perspective. Yeah, I agree. It's fine. You know, I was signing up for this when I quit corporate. <laughs> but, you know, it's um, it's part of the game. But, you know, it's exciting to see what you're capable of once you really put yourself out there. Yeah, 100%. So can you... I know we talked about niche and kind of like right a starting point in business, just throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks. But like there's a lot of jargon in the space of like client avatar and like competitor research and like all these things. So can you kind of explain a, how someone can determine their avatar, let's say from a starting point, knowing that it will change over time. And then also how to even conduct research in the first place, like the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll I'll caveat this with when I first started my business, I thought all of that was just bullshit. Client avatar, it doesn't matter. Like niche, it's irrelevant. Just go out there and just start trying to sell shit. That was my mindset, which I mean, it works, right? But it's not, I'm at a point now where I'm scaling, right? It's not scalable if you don't have these things dialed in. But the best way to do it is to go out and write down everything about who you want that client avatar to be. Of course, it should be who the market is telling you you want to work with, but it should also be who do you want to work with as well. People discount that because they're like, okay, the market's telling me one thing, but it's like, who do you actually want to work with? Who can you actually provide the biggest transformation to? And then define that. So what's their age? You know, What do they look like? What's their hair color? What's their eye color? What do they sound like? Get a picture right, of a person who you would want to work with and put that up as a client avatar. And over time, you will have multiple client avatars and you need to continue to do this. Like Even for our business right now, in the last three months, I think we've reiterated our messaging probably six or seven times. So this is something like, it's not like, okay, now we have a client avatar. We're going to speak to this one person. You need to reiterate this on a monthly basis because your business will change and grow and evolve. And when it comes to market research, so we leverage something, and this comes from Russell Brunson. I'm sure you're probably familiar. I love Russell Brunson. The guy of ClickFunnels, right? He's yeah, exactly. The, the yeah. king of internet marketing. Uh, he calls it a dream 100. So it's the 100 people in and around your niche where your clients might be hanging out. So for us, we obviously help businesses bring digital products to market and scale. So we leverage people like Russell Brunson. We go to his page. We go to Sam Ovens page, who has, he has a similar product. Yep. Consulting.com. Right. I know exactly. <laughs> exactly. People like that. 
we go to their Instagram and we go to their Facebook, we funnel hack them, we see what messaging they're doing. We go into the comments and we engage with their clients and bring those people into our system. And that's how you effectively do market research. But you also need to track it. You can't just go out there and just shoot in the dark. You need to have a system where you're tracking, okay, we've hit 100 leads from Russell Brunson's page. We've hit 100 leads from X person's page. We've gone to this person's Facebook group. We've scraped some leads out of there to have some conversations with these people. This is the messaging that we're getting. This is the messaging that we're using to them to see if they're converting. We're split testing different messages. All that type of back-end system work is needed in the beginning. And a lot of people make the mistake of going in blind. Like, okay, I'm going to go onto Facebook and I'm going to search, you know, people interested in losing weight. Good luck, right? You need to refine that. You need to figure out where your audience is. Maybe they're on Facebook. Maybe they're on Instagram. Maybe they're on Pinterest. You don't really know if you're a B2B business, maybe they're hanging out on LinkedIn and you need a LinkedIn presence. So you need to figure out what platform they're going to be on, where they're hanging out, who they're following, what they're doing, the actions that they're taking, and then start to run outbound messaging to those people and bring them into your system. So I've actually never heard someone say they actually track those conversations that they have with people. Because like, I know the whole engagement jam, right? You like respond to comments, reply to people with their name. Like you're building a community within this community type of thing or within other people's community through way of like commonalities and whatever else. But how do you even track that? Is that like an Excel spreadsheet where like, you know, like Sally Pants 25 said hello and this, like, what does it even look like? Honestly, I'm curious for myself as well. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I wish I could, people were able to see so I could share, but I'll just explain it. So essentially what you want to do as you're starting to grow and scale a business, you want to have two angles of traffic. So the first angle is going to be inbound traffic. So this would be you know people on TikTok who you do a call to action, they click your link, maybe they opt into an email campaign, you send them wherever, free call, Facebook group, something that's going to help build rapport, build community. That's your inbound, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be. Your outbounds is where you will do a lot of your tracking. So we are bringing a full-time virtual assistant on next Monday. I've Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I had had a full-time employee with my prior business as well, which is where I kind of learned a lot of these things before I reiterated to this new business. What they do, they will go and do outbound messaging. For us, we're leveraging Instagram. So they're going to send between 100 and 150 outbound messages per day directly at that Dream 100 that I was talking about earlier. So people in Russell Brunson's group, people who've engaged with our content on TikTok or Instagram, boom, they're getting smacked with a message. We have this all templated out. When you're hiring a virtual assistant, before you hire a virtual assistant, you have to test the messaging yourself for at least two to four weeks. The biggest mistake that you can make, and I've made this mistake in the past, is hiring a virtual assistant and saying, go out and test the market. I did this too. (laughs) The virtual assistant, yeah, everyone makes this mistake. The virtual assistant doesn't know what to do. They don't understand what your business is. They don't know who they're looking for. And you end up wasting all of your time trying to tell them what to do. So we have this entire thing templated, and I did this for my old business before, in a spreadsheet, we also have a workflow where we leverage, it's called Lucid App or Lucid Spark. So essentially, it's kind of like an if-then type of diagram. So we have split-tested messages. So like I have my business partner, she's a female, I'm a male. So obviously, we're using different messaging, right? So she has two messages that she sends, two types of messages. I have two types of messages that I send. So essentially, we're split testing four messages on the front end, and we track every single person who we've hit. Our virtual assistant will be doing this. We've been doing this manually to give the virtual assistant instructions. And then we track the percentage of positive response rate. So let's say we send 1,000 outbound messages with one messaging template, and we get a 13% response rate. And with the other messaging template, we get an 18% response rate. Well, that tells us with a significant amount of data okay, the message that converts at 18% is higher converting than the 13%. Remove the other message, boom, bring in another message, split test again, right? So we're constantly split testing over and over and over and over and over again. I keep seeing your stories on Instagram and it's like, you guys are all doing all these. (laughs) Exactly. And that's how you automate. That's how you scale, right? Because a digital business, 
An online business is nothing more than a business of optimization. So even though this is manual outreach with a virtual assistant, we would be stupid to not split test messages and not have them be tracked properly because we're essentially losing money. We're not optimizing our business. And that's really your first factor of scaling is one, inbound traffic, two, outbound traffic from your virtual assistant. And then you really scale leveraging paid retargeting ads, which we will leverage soon. I've run Facebook ad and YouTube ads before, but we're not in a rush because you can really scale well beyond $100,000 a month just with organic traffic pretty effectively if you know where to find your leads and if you're optimizing that process. Yeah. And also analyzing it correctly because like, I'm not good with doing the analytics of like, okay, this worked and this didn't, or like, what do I need to tweak? So that's something I'm working on. But I notice when the thing does work for whatever reason, which I cannot pinpoint, I'm like, holy shit, like there's so much potential with this. I just need to like figure out the messaging so that it like emotionally hits them. And right, there's value being exchanged between the two of us. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing is that messaging. My business partner and I are, we essentially are opposites, right? She is an expert copywriter. She knows the messaging down pat. She's a designer, web designer, all that stuff. I just do the systems on the back end and, and sell. I'm like, let me just build things and get on the phone and close deals. So like this type of messaging stuff is very difficult for me. It's a hurdle. I don't like doing it. It's not fun. That's just part of business, right? Like nobody wants to sit there and send 30 outbound messages and do market research every day of the week. But that's what you need to do if you really want to scale. And then once you have it down, and we've been working on this for the last two or three weeks, boom, outsource. So now all that manual work that we were doing, that's taking us two hours a day each. Now we just have someone doing that for us, bringing leads into our system, cold leads. And then we bring them into our Facebook community on our email list. We warm them up. We call it the seven hour rule where we just smack them with content, high value content through email, through automated text message. And that's how they get on the phone and actually convert. And that's the difference between you know a close rate of 10 or 15% on the phone where we have a close rate over 50% on the phone because we hit them with so much content. I was like, who the hell is this guy, Brad, email, you know, DMing me. And then I get on the phone with you and I'm like, I need to work with you. Like we need to be business partners because you know shit that I don't know. Like it's very, I was very impressed with the difference between the initial not that I thought you weren't skilled. I saw your TikTok and all that stuff, but it was just like to go from that to then this, like the transfer over between this initial observation to then this better one was like remarkable within an hour span, not even. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of this is we've learned from my mentor. His name's Ravi Abuvala. He scaled multiple seven and eight figure businesses. And that's where the seven hour rule concept comes from. Because if you're going to get on the phone with someone and try to close a $4,000 a $5,000 deal. And the only thing that they've seen is maybe a sales page or a 30-minute video. Good luck. That's a hell of a lot of work you have to do on the sales side to persuade someone to purchase your product. We have so much content built into the system so that people are already sold when they get on the phone with us because they've seen so much content. They know who we are. So all we have to do is go through a sales call and they convert. And that's really a huge factor of scaling a business as well and not wasting time on a call. Like we'll have leads come to us who will schedule a call and they'll go, Hey, uh, I watched a couple of the videos and like, I just don't think this is a great fit for me. That's what we want. We want people to say, we, we don't want to do the call because we're not a good fit because we're simultaneously disqualifying bad leads it saves us time from having to waste an hour on the phone. And we're further qualifying good leads as well. Because someone who might just schedule a call and think, ah, maybe I'll show up to the call. Maybe I won't. I've been guilty of this too, right? You, you see someone's funnel, you go in there, you schedule a call, ah, maybe I'll show up. But if we just hit them with high value content, massive value, case studies, testimonials, diagrams, things of what we do, by the time they get on the call, they might go from considering even getting on the call to giving us $5,000 and becoming, you know, a star client of ours. So that's kind of how we build the system in that way. Yeah. It's very elaborate. What you do when this I was, shit, that funnel, I was excited, like, Holy Gabby. shit. I'm like, this shit like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, can you kind of talk about the different business models? Cause right. There's like done with you services and done for you services, right. There's digital products. There's like 
if you're a graphic designer, right? You're there's so many different things. And there's also the difference between high ticket and low ticket items. Like, is there a difference? What's better? What's worse? Is there even one that's better than the other? Like, can you kind of give your, your opinion on all those? Yeah. So I've outside of my dropshipping store, which made me, um, a couple hundred dollars. Um, I've always leveraged high ticket products and I encourage everyone to leverage high ticket products because it's a much more scalable business to do things in that way. Now you need to make sure that you can actually deliver the transformation. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're doing outfront marketing, you're making a, a claim, right? Maybe you're saying, I help people in corporate quit their job and start their first business. Well, you better be able to not only deliver on that transformation, but over deliver on that transformation as well. Get case studies, get testimonials so you can show social proof. But really the route that you want to follow as you're growing, and this is kind of the consulting roadmap is what we call it. First, you want to do done for you service, which could be, um, you know, for me, this would be like, I help you build a sales funnel or I'll build a sales funnel for you, or I'll do email copywriting for you and provide it. So that's a done for you service. Then you want to transition to a done with you service. So this is, instead of me giving you a funnel, I'm going to help you to build the funnel and I'm going to work with you to build the funnel. Then you want to transition to one-on-one coaching. Then you want to transition to group coaching. And then you want to actually build a scalable digital product. Now, the reason why you work in that way is because the absolute worst thing that you could do is build a digital product, whether this be a consulting agency, an online course, or whatever it may be, any type of digital product, build it, spend three months building out this elaborate thing, and then go out and try to sell it. And you just hear crickets from the market. So that's why you follow this roadmap, because what you need to do, you need to figure out who your clients are. You need to leverage a done for you, a done with you, a one-on-one coaching model to get market feedback. You need to work with dozens of clients first, because they will tell you what they actually need and they will give you case studies. They will give you testimonials. Those are your biggest pieces of marketing content. Case studies, testimonials by far, because it shows that you can deliver on that transformation. Once you have at a minimum one good case study and three or four testimonials and a shit ton of market feedback from the people you've worked with, then you want to start to build a scalable digital product. But you should never just jump to building something. Always sell before you create. And this works with all of these models. You know, Even if you're doing a one-on-one coaching model, you don't want to plan four weeks ahead. You want to have the idea, and we talked about this when we first had a call, you want to have the idea like week one is going to be this, week two is going to be this, week three is going to be this, week four is going to be this. That's it. That's what you're selling. You're selling the idea of four weeks, but you can't possibly have a quote unquote curriculum for week four until you've worked with them in week one and figured out what they actually need, right? So you build week one and then you deliver on week one. You leverage the feedback. You see where your clients are at. Then you build out week two. Then you build out week three. Then you build out week four. Then you reiterate this with multiple clients. Then you move it to a group setting and you reiterate it multiple times. And then you actually build the product on the back end. Because what's going to happen is if you go the opposite way, you're not going to be allowed to scale because you don't have the proper information that you need and you're going to waste a lot of time as well. Yeah. I have to say that call that we had where you just said straight up to me, well, what is it that you're doing? I was like, no one has ever asked me that. Now (laughs) I need to actually talk about it. It helps so much with me getting clarity because I did the free calls, right? I did, I already did all that. You know, I had experience with working with people for free. So I knew kind of the direction. I just didn't have like wording around it solidified or quote unquote, the transformation solidified just yet until I had that like four week thing kind of thought up. Yeah, exactly. And that's where a lot of people get frozen, especially people transitioning from the corporate world with kind of that corporate mindset is like, "Eh, I'm kind of afraid. And you said this as well. Like, I'm kind of afraid. And a lot of clients say this too, kind of afraid to charge people because I'm not sure that I can deliver. But if you're the type of person who knows that you can deliver, then charge a high ticket price because it's all about perceived value, right? If people come into your funnel and you're just giving out free calls, it's like, oh, her time isn't that valuable. But if it's like you have a huge barrier to even get on a call with you, you have to pay X amount of dollars to actually work with you, then you've just raised your perceived value. And your perceived value is your business's value as well. And this is kind of that initial hurdle. But once you start to step into that and actually 
not just prove to the market and your clients that you can deliver, but prove to yourself as well. Like, hey, I charged this person $500 for four weeks. And not only did I deliver, but I massively over-delivered to the point where they want to keep working with me. And they're going to give me a raving testimonial. Okay. Now my value is higher. Now I charge a thousand dollars. Right. And this is where I started too. I charged 997 in the beginning. Now we charge $4,000. We're raising our price to $6,000. Right. So it's like, you're going to start lower and the more social proof you get, the more and more and more you're able to raise your price with those case studies, testimonials, and you know, building your business inside out. Instead of constantly having to generate leads, we have referrals come to us all the time. Like, hey, I've been working with Brad and Nina. They're crushing it. You should work with them too. Like we had a deal closed yesterday from a referral. Like that's what you want, right? Because it takes a lot of load off of the lead generation side of your business. Yeah. Plus also with you and you talk about the money conversation in general, if you don't charge enough, you actually come up as cheap. And not only that, but what I found too, even for myself, the calls that were free that I was doing complimentary, I resented them. I didn't want to be on it. I definitely didn't give a shit. Like in the beginning I did. And then after like five of them, it was like, fuck this. Like I'm not getting anything out of it other than helping people who half the time didn't show up. But then the other flip side of it too was like, okay, even if I, like in the beginning I went from free and then I was like, I'll do $20 for 30 minutes and see if even anyone wants to pay that. And all of a sudden I would be like sweating profusely because I was so concerned that they wouldn't get $20 worth of value because I like, again, right. It's such a small amount, but like when you start building that up, right. You force yourself to over deliver again, if that's the type of person you are, you force yourself to show up better and be better and come prepared and, and provide value even after that call or conversation or program, because you basically charge the money and they're taking it more seriously too. They're actually going to show up and do it because they spent the money. They don't want to make a bad investment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you should do, right? You did things exactly the right way. Like you, you have to do free calls in the beginning. If you have zero business and you have zero testimonials, zero case studies, like you need to give away shit for free, right? That's what marketing, that's what sales is, is giving massive value away for free. And then just like, boom, 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 charging it and charging it higher and higher. And another thing that we do, and I've done this with my prior businesses and we tell all of our clients to do this, especially if they're doing something like one-on-one coaching, Let's say you do four weeks of one-on-one coaching with five clients. You promise one thing, right? Four calls once every week. And then you provide them with toolkits and you provide them with supplementary material. And then at the end of the four weeks, you go, oh, hey, actually, you can just have access to our mastermind community where we do a live Q&A once a week, right? So it's like you promise them four weeks of coaching for $500 and then they're getting indefinite group Q&A calls forever. This is what I did with my first clients where I charged them 997 for 8 weeks and then they have gotten 6 7 8 months of coaching calls in a group setting and it's like that's why the testimonials are fire because it's like, you know, they thought they were getting one thing and they're just getting massive amounts of over-delivery on value. And like you said earlier, if you're the person who over-delivers, my opinion and the way that I think is if you don't plan on over-delivering, then you shouldn't be in business. The way you're going to scale is massive over-delivery. So it's not just fulfill, it's fulfill and then move way beyond that. And that's how you're going to be able to scale a brand. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. And even in the beginning, I'm finding that So long as I'm transparent about everything, like people know this is the first membership I'm building out. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So please give me feedback. They're like, holy crap, she's being honest with me. I respect her more. So even if she fucks up, we will have a conversation and we'll make things right and everything will work out smoothly regardless. Like that is something too that I'm finding is helping as well. And that doesn't mean like to discredit yourself as not being an expert or not having it together, but there's all these little things that come with it that like are really like little sprinkles on top of the the icing on the cake, essentially. Yeah. Transparency is crucial because people respect you for that. Because especially in the online space, there's so many bullshit programs that promise one thing that charge, you know, $5,000 for business coaching. Get it? And then they end Happen up, to me. <laughs> Happens to everyone. Yeah. They end up teaching you like how to do breath work. And you're like, I need to build out a fucking funnel. Like I, this is, this has nothing to do with anything. Like, you know what I mean? There's a lot of that going on. And, you know, I've had discussions with people like that where I'm just like, I can just smell like the slime that's coming out of your business where you're charging $10,000 for, you know, uh, a healing based business, which just teaches like Facebook organic marketing, which you could go take a course on Udemy for 20 bucks and learn the same thing. But something that we do on the transparency scale is we will send people a training on how to do high ticket sales before we get on a sales call with them. 
So we basically send them an, an automation that says like, this is our sales process. You're about to get on a sales call with us. And this is exactly what we're going to do to try to sell you on this call. So we get people on the phone where sometimes they could be nervous and scared. And it's like, oh, hey, did you watch like the sales training that we just sent you, you know, yesterday? And they're like, oh yeah, I thought it was great. And then we just literally walked them through the process. And it's like such radical transparency that people are like, oh, these guys are just giving us everything that they're doing. Like I'm, I'm going with these guys, right? Where some people might fear that because they like to hide like the price. So they like to hide the sales process. So they like to put up these smoke and mirrors, but we operate with radical transparency. And, you know, a lot of this has been learned from our mentors is like, give them every single thing that we do. Let them know, like, we're smacking you with all these automations of high value content, because this is how we scale our business. And like, this is how we're going to help you scale your business as well. And just putting that out there instead of like hiding it, like, hey, you're getting a text message from us. Like, nah, we're going to tell you, you're going to get all these automations and you're going to get a high ticket sales call where we're going to hit these pain points and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to say this to try to convert you to a customer. And that type of transparency converts much better than, you know, the smoke and mirrors. It does. Yeah. And I think people are getting better at smelling, as you said, like the stank of these shitty people on the internet. But all of this that you had said, obviously, right, you had failures and like learning cycles and like, even when things are going great, there's still the failing that comes in some way. So can you kind of talk on maybe what that's like, even for people who are quote unquote, making it or a successful business that failing and learning those cycles are imminent and there's ways at combating it when it's really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a book by Seth Godin. It's called The Dip. And it talks about, you know, the ups and downs, not just of business, but of life too, where in your business, you are going to go through these cycles. It's kind of the initial phases, right? You launch a new product or you launch a new offer. Your momentum is going, right? The momentum of business, which is a beautiful thing, is going. And then every single time you're going to hit a dip an angry customer, revenue drops off, or the product isn't selling like you thought it would. And then you find yourself in this low point. And that low point is what makes or breaks business owners. The more time that you have those low points, the better of a business owner you will be because all of your learning is done in those failure points, right? All of the... I made a ton of mistakes. I pissed a lot of people off. But one thing that I have always done is I've always made sure to over-deliver. So I know whenever I'm going through these dips, find a way to come out the other side because people get stuck. One of my other products, it was still selling, but it wasn't scalable. I needed to restructure everything. And I had you know old people that I was working with like coming at me saying, like, you can't do this product, blah, blah, blah. All of these things happening at one time. And I was on this downward trajectory. I was like, okay, is my business failing right now? Like revenue's dropping, the lead flow is slowing down. And it's being able to be calm when there's all this chaos, right? Where it's like, instead of going into this downward spiral, like, fuck, my business is failing. I'm going to have to get a job. My income's dropping. I don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. It's like, step back, settle in, look at the fundamentals, analyze where you are, right? See what's causing these issues with a calm mind, and then move very quickly to get out of it. Because people will just sit in this dip forever, right? Three months, six months. I don't know what to do. I'm not making any sales. And it's like, what have you done in the last month? Well, I made TikToks and I posted on Instagram. Well, have you tested your messaging? No. Have you done different outbound? No. Have you changed your sales page? No. Have you like all these things? If you haven't actually done anything, you're not going to get out of that dip. So when you hit these low points, one, you need to step back analyze your entire business from an outside-in perspective, and then move really fast to reiterate and move your business forward. Yeah. It's hard when you're in the dip. Let me tell it you is, that. It's fucking it's hard. It's so it hard when you're it in is. the dip and you're just like, what am I, what's the fucking point of all this? But when you like eventually crawl out of it and get to that higher place, doesn't mean you have it all figured out, but you're in a better headspace. It's definitely like, you're like, oh, I needed to do that. Like that was purposeful, even though it felt shitty. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it too, from what I've learned is, you know, and this is kind of a, I don't know if you call this a proverb or whatever, but surrounding yourself with those five people, right? The five people who are higher level than you or at your same level, or, you know, if you're in entrepreneurship, you better be surrounded by a lot 
lot of other entrepreneurs or in coaching programs with people who are well beyond where you want to be, because that will help you to push forward very quickly through those dips. Whereas, you know, if you're sitting in, you know, I'm from Philadelphia, if you're in Philadelphia and everyone you're friends with is a nine to five corporate worker and you're trying to scale a business as an entrepreneur and you're stuck in a dip and you try to talk to someone about what's going on in your business, they don't understand. No. They, they will never <laughs> it's understand. Be right? So yeah. it's like, if you go to an entrepreneur and it, you know, of course, not all of my friends are entrepreneurs, but I try to surround myself with these types of people. They understand. They're like, oh, I, I get it. Like, you need, you should probably restructure this. You should change this one thing. I made this mistake in my business and it allows you to progress faster. So putting yourself in that environment, whether that be, you know, in a coaching group, in a community, just surrounding yourself with friends or partners who have the same mindset or further developed mindset than you is going to be tremendously beneficial to pushing through those hurdles. But in the beginning stages of a business, it can be very isolating because you might be the only one. You're going to have to shed a lot of the past life that you've had. A lot of those past friends, you might be, you know, you love them, but they might be pulling you in the wrong direction. It's it's a constant shedding and growth process. Yeah. And I've noticed actually how many people are actually against me because of doing this and how they probably shouldn't have been in my life longer than I kept them in had I not done this, like there are people that I thought, oh, they're great. Or like, you know, they're fun to hang out with. We go drinking together. Like I've known them since childhood and all this stuff. And yet it's been six months and none of them have, you know, well, not none of them, but like specific people either have said things negatively to me about it, or they haven't said shit. And it's like, well, are you really even a friend then? Because I don't, friends usually ask how things are going and they compliment you and they're excited for you and they're supportive. And if they're not, that's a problem. It is. And, and they shouldn't be your friend. And that's a difficult thing too, is like, I experienced the same thing when I first specifically like on TikTok, when I first got on TikTok, like, I don't know, maybe nine, 10 months ago, I had friends being like, oh, nice, nice videos. Like, what are you doing? Like, the, you're doing like the, you're doing the dancing thing. And I'm like, dude, you don't, you have no yeah, idea. You don't, what I'm I know. Doing. I got into a full-blown argue with my boyfriend about it because he was like, I don't like that you're basically acting like a 13 year old on the internet. That's TikTok is for children. I was like, but look what's happened. Like it's everything's blowing up. And now he's like an understanding and he just doesn't watch it. But like we had a whole argument about it because like they, again, different, different perspective, different places. Yeah. And, and that's like part of the game is like, there's going to be people who don't understand and that's fine because they might just need more time to understand. Like my family, like it took them two years to realize that I'm not just like the fuck up who just wants to like travel around Asia with a backpack and make like 20 grand a year. Like now, now they're like coming around and being like, oh, okay, I see that you're actually like scaling a legitimate business. Like, okay. Like now they're really rooting for me. Whereas before it was like, oh, we hope that's cute. Brad like figures that's it fun. out. Yeah, you know right. I mean? And it's like <laughs> I had that, and I had friends, and everyone who being like, what, what is this guy doing? What is this guy doing? And then it's like you just have to stay true to yourself. You have to believe because no one is going to believe in you more than you believe in yourself, and you have to have that belief because it takes a long time. It's fucking hard. Most people will fail. And the reason they fail is because they have internal limiting beliefs that hold them back from pushing through those tremendously difficult times. If it was easy, everyone would build a business, but it's much easier to get a job. It's much easier to stay in the job and live that seven out of 10 type of life with the 401k and all that other bullshit that I despise so much. And you do as well. Like It's a lot harder to step into the unknown and to push yourself tremendously outside of your comfort zone. But one, the scalability of a business is unlimited. The freedom potential is unlimited. And the impact potential is unlimited as well. So when you can realize that and see those things and you have positive business momentum, it's the most beautiful thing. And it's my number one driving factor. It's like my life and my business are the same. Everything that I do in my life, it's intertwined with my business. And it has to be that way if you want to be a true entrepreneur to try to really scale something that's impact-based, right? Not just scam people out of money or sell shitty low-ticket dropshipping products. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But if you want to have a real impact-based business where you're helping people to transform their lives in a positive way, then you better drink the Kool-Aid of your own business, right? And you better be your own biggest fan and cheerleader. And the people who love you and are your friends 
will come along the ride with you. And the people who are projecting, who are either jealous or for whatever reason, they don't like you or your style or the way that you talk, they'll fall off and that's okay. And that's the most important thing. Better off anyway. Bye. Exactly. (laughs) So I know you like literally just spit fire the past minute, but like if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? This is tough because I took this jump. I'm I'm 26. I took this jump when I was 22. So the only advice that I would give to myself would be do your best to not care what other people think about you. Because I've struggled my whole life with depression and anxiety. And now I'm in a much, much better headspace than I was two, three years ago. But I was at times crippled by, you know, what people think about me or my perception out there. Whereas now I just, of course, you can say like, oh, I don't give a shit what people think about me. Like that everyone does, right? Everyone wants to be perceived and to a certain extent. But I think the number one thing would be keep working to, you know, remove that negative outside influence in your life and just move with speed, move fast, I think is the most important thing. I've learned that a lot over the last year. Fail fast, move fast. You have to in this space and never make it about money either. I know that's a multiple part answer, but it can't be about money. Money is a vehicle, right? Money is a vehicle towards impact. If your number one drive in business is to make money, then you're going to build a shitty business and you're going to have a lot of unhappy customers. Your number one drive needs to be impact and massive value. And then the money will be a benefactor of that. And then having large amounts of capital will allow you to invest in other things that are also impact-based. Couldn't agree more on all three fronts. So thank you for the multi-part answer. I think all of them are going to be helpful for people listening. Can you tell everyone kind of where they could find you, how they can get involved, or basically maybe start working with you and Nina in the business? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on TikTok at Brad Schildkraut. You can find me on Instagram at Brad Schildkraut. Go to creativebrandframework.com. You could also join our Facebook group, which if you just search Creative Brand Framework, you should be able to find our Facebook group on there as well. Schedule a call with us, check out our stuff. I have a YouTube channel as well, Brad Schilkraut also. So that's the best way to reach out and connect with us. If you're someone who is just starting on the entrepreneurship journey, or you have a really good business idea that you want, or you're already somewhat established, but looking to scale a legitimate business with legitimate systems, we're the people for you. And um, yeah, hit us up on, on all the socials. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Brad's the shit, everyone. Run. Don't walk. Run to him. Um, But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for this and the opportunity to collaborate and everything. I think people are going to find tremendous value in what you said. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, having me on and looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you as well. I'm excited to follow your journey. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Make sure to check out corporatequitter.com for extended content and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter and to learn more about how you can leave the 9 to 5, follow our host Gabby on Instagram or TikTok at she likes to gab. 